Sentire Media. Hello you. You're listening to A History of Italy. Episode 121. Braccio da Montone, Lord of Perugia, 1407 to 1417. In the last episode, we took advantage of a special tour guide to take us on a little trip of central Italy to catch up with what was going on in that area between the 14th and 15th centuries. Andrea Fortebraccio, known as Braccio da Montone, started us off in his native Perugia, in the current-day region of Umbria. We then had the chance to meet the Montefeltro family of Urbino, as Braccio helped them out with their fight against the Malatesta of Rimini. We also had the chance to visit Bologna, as Braccio fought alongside the company of St. George under the command of the famous condottiero military leader Alberico da Barbiano. Interestingly, Bologna had gone back to a communal experience in the last quarter of the 14th century, before it would be taken over in the early 15th century by the Bentivoglio family. We had left Braccio narrowly escaping an assassination attempt organised by his general due to the man's suspicions about Braccio's rising fame. Our captain had been saved by the wife of the general, who may possibly have had a thing for him. For Braccio, that is, not the general, although she probably had a thing for the general as well, because she was his wife. One last thing we need to mention before we follow Braccio as he goes off on his own was that in the company of St. George, he met another condottiero, Muzio Attendolo Sforza, with whom he became good friends. However, Sforza from then on would be his arch-nemesis. Also, you might want to make a note of the name Sforza. So, as we said, at this point, Braccio decided to go off on his own. By this time, he had made a name for himself. He had distinguished himself in many a battle and had all of the scars to prove it, including the rather nasty one on the back of his head that had sent him into a coma. He created his own company, but he didn't just take in any old person that happened to pass by or who presented himself to his service. He didn't want any riffraff or common criminal, as was often the case with these roving bands, and he handpicked his men all the way down to the most lowly soldier. He mainly chose a lot of outcasts and exiles from his native Perugia, so that the company would not just be a bunch of sellswords, but they would be men with a mission, with a thirst for vengeance, and the ultimate goal of getting back into their home city of Perugia. He required absolute loyalty and handed out harsh discipline, but was also very trusting 
and generous in his sharing of the booty and the spoils of battle. The company operated in the area of the current region of Le Marche, Umbria and part of Lazio, the region that Rome is located in, in the early part of the 15th century. All the while, Braccio's thoughts and I were on Perugia. The citizens of the city knew this, and in their fear, they enlisted the help of the powerful lord of Milan, Gian Galeazzo Visconti. It was around this time that Braccio had his first encounter with a young concubine, who became his first full-time lover. Shortly after that, the people of Perugia lost their powerful protector when Visconti died. The temporary lull in what seems like an endless expansion of the power of that great northern city allowed some space and hope for another protagonist that we have already mentioned, and that is King Ladislaus of the Kingdom of Naples, he of the very naughty hanky-panky court, brother to the woman who would become Joanna II of Naples. His natural area of expansion north would have been central Italy, and therefore Umbria, and therefore Perugia. The people of the city knew this very well, and so before Ladislaus could team up with Braccio, they offered themselves to the king of Naples, leaving the general out in the cold. At this point, he could do nothing but seek partial revenge by raiding the countryside around the city. This attracted the king of Naples, who came up with an army and was duly defeated. Braccio then had time to see the birth of his first son, and then abandon the mother, for it seems that he had promised he would never have more than one son from the same woman, since his wife, Elisabetta, couldn't have any of her own. Afterwards, Ladislaus of Naples tried again and was defeated again, and Braccio took some time off to go and visit with his family to be the first to tell his wife about his son. After what I can only imagine must have been the most comfortable and relaxing of conversations, it was then time to get involved in a bit of papal politics. I certainly don't expect everyone to remember exactly what was going on at the time, so just a quick reminder to say that John XXIII was battling it out with another two rival popes, who were Gregory XII and Benedict XIII. Braccio threw in his hat with John XXIII, who would then thank him by changing his mind and teaming up with Ladislaus of Naples, so our boy had to defeat him again. He then decided to reward himself by taking over the town of his family origin, Montone. Incidentally, if you were wondering why in the last episode we said that the insignia of Braccio was a black ram on a yellow field, it was most likely because the word Montone actually means ram. Braccio had never had much love for popes, and the behaviour of John XXIII just proved that he'd probably been right. Therefore, it was with great interest 
that he learned that John Twenty-Third was having a bit of trouble in the very conclave that he himself had called to try and put an end to the great Western schism, or schism. This seemed like a great opportunity to Braccio to finally try and take his greatest desire, the city of Perugia, which was now under the control of the Raspanti family. His idea was to take the city lightning quick before any help could arrive. However, despite managing to take many castles in the area, he did not manage to take control of the city. He actually entered the city, but when he realized that almost all of the citizens were up in rebellion, he retreated, not wanting to massacre the very citizens he wished to rule over. There was nothing that he could do now but sit back and prepare for the three relief armies that were being sent his way, one coming from Naples, one under the command of Paolo Orsini from Rome, and yet another led by an old enemy of the general, Carlo Malatesta, from the Romagna area. Indeed, Braccio had defeated and humiliated Malatesta in a battle near the city of Faenza. The year by now was 1416. It was July, and a hot central Italian summer gripped the land. Before we see how things went, a quick word from our sponsor. So, there we had Braccio da Montone, standing aloft, his banner, the black ram on the yellow field, waving and flapping in the wind, as three armies made their way towards him. His first plan of action was to soften them up a bit by sending contingents to harass each advancing army separately before they could come together. Soon, however, the armies did indeed converge and it would be time for open battle. The tactics used by Braccio will perhaps not be revolutionary to us now, but then the innovations he introduced were so effective that the strategy became famous in all of Europe and actually bore the name of Braccesco, of Braccio. First of all, he would divide his army into very small units of highly trusted and experienced men who remained effectively mobile, managing to move and strike independently before retreating. Furthermore, he tended to mix his cavalry up with some infantry, so that when one cavalry unit was fighting another, the infantry could work among the horses, attacking the poor creatures themselves and taking them from under their riders. July the 12th of 1416 dawned, and the forecast was for intense heat. Braccio had his side of the battlefield littered with drinking points and fresh water. A river ran along one flank of the battlefield. The enemy armies came together on the battlefield. They outnumbered him three to one. He did not allow them time to get organized and immediately sent wave after wave of small attacks which would strike, disengage and then come back quickly to drink. As the morning wore on, the tactic continued as the hot summer sun beat down on the combatants. The enemy started to eye the river thirstily and soon enough, 
the line started to stretch in that direction. It was at this point that Braccio ordered an all-out attack on various points of the line. The enemy, weakened by the thirst of the summer sun and intimidated by the violent attacks, broke and ran. The army, that had been three times that of the general, disappeared and melted into the Italian summer. Nothing now stood in the way of Braccio becoming lord of Perugia, and that is exactly what he did, bringing with him all of the outcasts and exiles from the city who got their property back. However, he did not take time to gloat and sit back and enjoy his new position. Things were on the move. It seemed that the Great Western Schism would indeed be coming to an end, and soon a new pope would emerge and could once again assert his power over central Italy. This was not good news for Braccio. So, once again, Braccio decided to be proactive. Rome was a dangerous place. Whichever pope did finally come out of the conclave would need a hand getting in there. He would need protection. Therefore, wouldn't it be a great idea to take Rome ready to hand it over to any pope that came along and asked for it? Then, of course, if said pope decided, for some strange reason, that he was not fond of Braccio, well, he had Rome. In the end, he didn't need to lift a finger. He simply waltzed down to Rome, his reputation preceding him and spreading fear, and pranced into the city. It was his. He was in control. Once again, Braccio did not sit and wait. He started to think about the next step. To the south was obviously the kingdom of Naples. He did not for a moment think of invading the kingdom, but he did think about seeking an alliance. King Ladislaus had died and his sister Joanna was on the throne and she was having none of it. She hired Braccio's old friend, Muzio Attendolo Sforza, Count of Cotignano, to fight against him. However, the great rivalry was not yet destined to kick off. Indeed, as Sforza advanced, Braccio's army was hit by plague, and he very wisely took that as a sign to leg it and get out of there. Soon after that, on the 11th of November 1417, Odone Colonna of the powerful Roman family of the same name was elected as Pope Martin V. With Martin, Braccio's distrust and dislike of popes would turn into a burning hatred, readily and enthusiastically mirrored by the Pope himself, who would make it his mission to crush this lowly, upstart brigand. The game was afoot. So, on this tour, Braccio has taken us once again to central Italy, Umbria, Limarche, and part of the Romagna area, as well as a little visit with our old friends the Visconti of Milan, and of course, our buddies down in the kingdom of Naples, before taking us to the eternal city herself, Rome. What a great trip. 
Thank you very much, Braccio. We look forward to hearing the end of your story in the next episode. Thank you very, very much for listening. Thanks in particular to my Patreon supporters, starting from the first part of the Margarita Hack and Galileo Galilei level, and that is Alison H., Amanda D., Anthony G., Bill S., Brian J., Callan, Carrie W., Selene, David L., Dean V., Dominique T., Emily B., Federica R., Francisco A., Gabriel S., Greg, Ignacio, Il Valentino, James C., Jeff Malloy, Jeffrey W., Joseph S., Juan Diego, Julia G., and Old John in Milwaukee. Of course, I would also like to thank the tippy-tippy-top Maria Montessori and Dante Ligieri Level, Paolo, Lisa K., Andrew M., Brandon S., David A., Peter W., Kevin O., David L., Rinat, and of course, Sen. Remember, if you have the inclination, you can get in touch. Hello at ahistoryofitaly.com. We are only about four episodes away from the great Q&A session. There's lots of lovely material in there, but if you do want to get a question in, go ahead and send it. You can also do so on social media. We are on Facebook and on Twitter and indeed even on Instagram. If you want to have a look on our website, ahistoryofitaly.com, in particular there is a lovely support page where you can become a patron and get access to extra content, or now you can click through to our Redbubble page and be the very proud owner of A History of Italy or even Great Turnip Gadgets. I know for certain that out there, there is somebody with a Great Turnip Fridge Magnet who is looking over and protecting their kitchen. Good for you. Thanks again very much for listening, and until next time, arrivederci. Sentire Media. Hey, podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentire Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com, that's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com, and find out how to submit your show.